This week on the Atlas Airguns podcast, we talk to John, the owner of New England Airgun. Our discussion includes his history with airguns, his store and range, how he ran his business during COVID-19, and so much more. Welcome to the Atlas Air Guns podcast. Today I'm joined by John, the owner of New England Air Gun, and he has the corresponding website, newenglandairgun.com. And I guess the first question I have for you, John, is how long have you been doing New England Air Gun? Oh, we're running into our eighth year this year. Kind what? of a hidden secret out there. Yeah, what got you started? Oh, you want the long version or the short version? We have as long as you want, so this (laughs) whole podcast is literally devoted to you, so. Sounds good. Well, I'm going to blame it on my wife. It's my wife's fault. Um, It uh, started where I was trying to find a unique Christmas gift for her, and I can never come up with anything, and I'm just, I'm trying and trying to figure out something that's unique, and in Massachusetts, we used to have a law that said air guns are firearms, so you need a firearms license. Well, they did away with that law. So I'm like, ah, this is an opportunity. I'm going to go out. I'll get a break barrel rifle, something that we can do together. We'll go out shooting, and this will be a very unexpected gift. So I'm like, this is cool. So run out Walmart grab a break barrel rifle, bring it home, wrap it up, good to go. I'm all set for Christmas. And then weeks go by, and the shooting at Sandy Hook School happened. And awful, awful thing. And I'm thinking, I got this Christmas gift as a gun, and our only place, our planned place to go shoot it is out in the woods behind the elementary school. That's the only place we have around here. And it's like, that's not going to happen anymore. So I started looking around at all the different uh, sportsmen's clubs, any shooting ranges I could find, and putting calls into them and getting no return calls. So finally, after the holidays, I go down and start visiting them in person and talking to people. And they're like, eh, no firearms license no access to our shooting ranges, no no air guns. And it's like, well, I, I got this great Christmas gift. She's all excited about it. She loves it. She wants to go out shooting. We can do it together. And now I got no place to go. So that, uh, where there's a problem, there's a solution. Uh, I'm a design engineer, and that's how I always work. So problem is, no place to shoot. I'll go and make a place to shoot. So... The idea of New England air guns started. And what year was that? Oh, we didn't actually get into a building until 2014. Uh, We incorporated in 2013, but I was designing this business for four years previous to that. And was that time spent specifically on inventory, or, or is that including the range? Including the range. It's... For it to all work, uh, every aspect of what we do here is needed. So you have an indoor range then? Yeah, we have the country's first and I still believe only 
uh, lead-free indoor air gun shooting range. And so how far do people come to visit your range? I'm sure people come from neighboring states and from all kinds of crazy places. Oh, yeah. Neighboring states on a weekly, monthly basis. Uh, I think the best story we have is we had a family from Saudi Arabia plan a stop at New England Airgun on their trip to the United States. So I'd really like to get into the specifics of your range, what it looks like, the aesthetics, uh, let's say the distance that you're shooting at, um, how it's set up, and just what the shooter should expect if they come there. Yeah, the range is designed like a, a standard shooting range. Uh, the idea here was because of the problem with all the mass shootings and everything, my belief is we have a severe lack of gun education in this country. And one of our main goals here is to educate people on uh, gun safety. Um, so our range has all the shooting stalls like a normal firearms range. We've got the overhead target carriers, um, backstops at the end of the range. Uh, I do them as a, uh, what am I trying to say? A um, ricochetless type material for indoors. Uh, range is kind of unique. We have gigantic uh, windows going down the length of the range and we have a, uh, a sitting area a lounge area where non-shooters can go and they can watch what's going on and get right up close to the targets even go down range right at the furthest distance and look up range at people shooting at their targets so try to get everybody involved and see what's going on so we got 50 feet distance uh, People can stop the targets at any increment uh, downrange that they want for practice. So we do a lot of 10-meter shooting. We bring it up closer for personal protection distance practice. And we get six shooting lanes. So we can accommodate a, a good amount of people in there at one time. Uh, another thing that I did that's kind of unique is I hate spotting scopes. So I mounted some uh, high zoom cameras in the range and put up some displays so people can, we shooting two or four people in a lane playing games. You can just look at the screen and see where the shot is hitting in the target. So you don't have to be looking into a spotting scope. Um, one of the questions I have for you is lighting for your range. How did you set up lighting? And when you're talking about the appropriate amount of distribution of that light uh, in that field, I'm sure you're trying to avoid glare and things like that. I'm sure lighting has some impact on that natural versus artificial. Was that a hard thing to set up? Well, not really. Um, being the engineer type that I am, I kind of designed all this to work. Uh, you need like uh, 1100 lumens on the shooting line and I just went with that for a couple different distances down the range so typical di spots where people stop their targets it, the targets are really bright we have a lot of light on those spots uh, we do have a few windows to the outdoors but we uh, we close them up uh, sometimes we'll open them up to get some 
natural light in, but most of the time they're closed, just relying on the overhead lights. And you said that you promote, obviously, air gun education and gun education overall. Do you work on, let's say, the youth and doing youth events at your location? Yes, definitely. We we accommodate all ages. Our, our youngest shooter um, was three years old, actually. And parents were really amazed that the child could hold the gun up. We, we had to have a rest for him to hold the front of the rifle on because it's too heavy for him. But uh, verbal commands for me, he was able to shoot a four-inch gong at the end of the range accurately on his own, like almost immediately. That's really cool. I'm currently looking at your website and at your range, and I wanted to ask, is it currently open or is it closed? I'm sure that it was closed during COVID-19. Oh, yeah. COVID was a lot of fun. Our business was 85% the shooting range. People coming in, uh, safety training class, going through all the gun safety, and then going in there to shoot. But when people can't come into an enclosed space, that's 85% of our business just gone instantly. So we did a lot of quick adapting. And with the range closed, a lot of empty space in there, we uh, ended up filling it with product. So right now, the range is still full of product. We're about 20 foot wide, 50 foot long, and 6 foot deep in product. So segueing a little bit away from your range, I just want to dive into some of the offerings that you have as a company. You have obviously uh, guns like the Human K1, you have the Evonix, Evonix, however you want to pronounce it, rifles, you have uh, even Extreme Big Bore and companies like REI. Um, how is it selling those products and do you see uh, any difference from brands that are a little more well-known to consumers? and? Do you like providing those products to consumers? Oh, most definitely. The uh, the Hubens and the Evanex um, we're not the sole distributors in the U.S., but I can say we are the largest distributors in the U.S. of those products right now. Uh, the Huben is absolutely my hands-down favorite. Uh, as a design engineer, I came into this with an idea that I was going to design a an air gun for New England Air Guns, stick our name on it, and put it out there. And I had a customer walk in one day, and he says, hey, you ever see the Hubin K1? I'm like, no, what is it? He goes, well, look it up. I I want to buy it. I have a whole bunch of friends who want to buy them, but we can't get any right now. So I started looking into it, and I'm like, that is the gun I intended to design. They did everything that I was looking to do. And they did it five years previous to <laughs> me finding them. And just really quickly, uh, sorry to butt in here, but those are hammerless rifles, correct? Yeah, the, the true pneumatic air gun. Hammerless design, uh, super responsive. To, just because of the way it's designed, you get a near competition class trigger break it's just a phenomenal rifle you can take in one of the nicest things about it is it's 
completely and totally versatile. Uh, we shoot lead-free in here, so we're shooting the lightest pellets that you can get. The, the pellets where the manufacturers get those really big numbers to entice you to buy the gun, we, we shoot those pellets exclusively. So uh, I can turn that Hooban down so those pellets are shooting at 430 feet per second, and I can crank up it all the way up to get 1,480 feet per second. So you can set it to plink all day long at low power or crank it up and with heavier lead pellets you can get about 80 foot pounds of energy out of a 22 caliber. I see as an option that there's custom stocks for that rifle. Do you do that for other rifles as well? No, right now we're just playing with the uh, the Hooban K1 with the custom stocks. Uh, we did a small run of those just before COVID, and COVID messed everything up. And we've just sent out a second batch of stocks to be customized. And hopefully one day we'll be able to do a just-in-time type of thing where people can ask us for a particular pattern and we can put that pattern on there for them. But right now we're just picking a few patterns and uh, getting those stocks customized for people to choose from. So continuing on your offerings with products, I see that you have the Evonix uh, Ibex available or Ebex. How would you pronounce that? Uh, I would say it's Ibex. Now, I see that it's very tactical looking. A lot of people are obviously drifting towards that with air guns, and it kind of reminds me of the M4 or AR-15 platforms with the, the tactical stuff. But there is a added benefit of a pick rail that is that long. And then I did see that the, the calibers offered on that rifle go all the way to 50 caliber. Uh, what is your experience with that rifle? That is actually a brand new model for 2022. Uh, we're actually getting a shipment of those headed this way on Friday. So the first ones will be here. I've, I've actually got prototypes in-house of the thir 357, 457, and 50 cal. And they, they perform exactly the way the manufacturers said they were going to perform. They're, they're awesome. Uh, I know a lot of people have express concern that oh my god it's a single shot rifle and i need a magazine i need to get follow-up shots but if you're out there truly hunting it should be one shot one kill and you've got plenty of time to go into your pocket pick up another round and stick it into the gun if you do need to eventually get a follow-up shot but i i like to refer to them more as a like sniper type rifle very precision you take a good shot wait for that shot to do its thing and if you need a follow-up that's going to be in 10-15 minutes once the animals bedded down yeah the whole single shot debate in air guns is always interesting there's the people that say you only need one shot and there's a lot of people that advocate for a you know follow-up shot in a form of a magazine but i do have um, a few hunting rifles that only have one shot and i i think it suffices as long as you um are you know well adapted to it and um yeah so that's really cool so you said these rifles are coming in on friday yeah friday they'll be getting on a plane in south korea 
And the fun part is, with the time change, they will be arriving the same date, same time they left. Wow. They'll get here into Boston, and then it's getting them on a truck to get them out to uh, our location. But next week, we should have them and start sending them out to the first people who express interest in them. Yeah, when I look at the foot-pounds of energy, I see that um, it puts off around 461 foot-pounds of energy at a velocity of 786 feet per second. I really like how modest these numbers are. A lot of companies, um, I think, exaggerate uh, just how much energy, uh, let's say a 50 cal, will put off. And so it's really nice seeing these numbers. They look... Um, like actual numbers that's a pretty big wall up there oh um, yeah and those are actual numbers i actually gave the guns out to a couple of our customers and asked them to go to the range take out their chronograph and tell me what they're shooting for ammo and get the real numbers and i i didn't make the numbers i had customers make the numbers and talking about big bore you also sell the extreme big bore brand um how is it selling those rifles? Uh, I've actually been a deal with, with them since the beginning with uh, Brent Hogue. Uh, I actually had gone, my, my first adventures in air gunning, uh, had a gentleman call me up and he was actually interested in not opening up a range like we have. We can only shoot under 25 caliber and we can only shoot lead free. He wanted to open up a range locally that would shoot big calibers and shoot lead. So he called me up asking all sorts of questions, how the business, how to work it and what to do and his concept of big bore. So he invited me to go for a ride out to Extreme Big Bore. And they were actually filming for American Air Gunner the uh, weekend that we were there. So we spent four days with Brent Hogue and Mr. Hollowpoint and uh, Mike Prangle, one of uh, one of their shooters that um, won one of the competitions with the big boars. So it was uh, it was really kind of a neat way to get started, and I I went home with my first extreme big boar from that weekend. And have you done any hunting with those rifles? No, um, I'm not quite a hunter. I'm, I'm not quite a tree hugger, but uh, we we do like to shoot paper. So uh, I'll do some pesting, but I have never got out there to go hunting. I I am intrigued with long distance accuracy and poking holes in paper. Sure. And one of the things I wanted to ask is obviously your range, you kind of started it off because there was a lot of restrictions with your state. So where do you go now when you want to shoot something larger than 25 cal? Well, we have to find a firearms range and I do have a firearms license so I can go there and I can bring the air guns and shoot. Um, we did have, uh, I've been working on them for seven years, uh, local Marlboro Fishing Game, they have recently just opened up to air gunners, uh, welcoming air gunners on the outdoor range without a firearms license. So they do have to be a member of the club and follow all the same rules, but we now have an air gun friendly outdoor range that we can visit. 
Oh, congratulations. Um, one of the things I want to ask is you obviously shoot a lot of non-lead uh, options at your range. So what's the best product you've come across? We actually went through and purchased every non-lead product from every manufacturer that we could find initially. And we offered that out for people to try and use. And uh, a lot of them were horrible. Uh, just absolutely horrible. They just fit too tight, fit too loose, just didn't group. But in all the trying and testing, the typical companies that rise to the top are H&N and JSB. Uh, they have very good, very good, accurate uh, lead-free products, um, especially with the wad cutters for 10-meter shooting. Uh, there was a write-up, I can't remember the exact year now, but I think it was the fifth year that we were here. The U.S. shooting uh, had done, the CEO there had done an article in the magazine that they put out that lead-free pellets have uh, really come of age, and he didn't really notice it, but he had felt that those pellets were at least good enough for Olympic practice, uh, but he wasn't quite sure if they were good enough for Olympic competition. It would take years of use and trying to see if the uh, quality and the accuracy was really there to try to use in the Olympics. So, I mean, I go outside, I'll shoot the, the lead-free, um, the uh, domed, 75 yards uh, i i have this thing I, I like to set up my targets at 75 yards but my target is the size of a quarter i use the uh, shoot and see filler dots as my targets i'll i'll put seven of them on a piece of cardboard and that that's what i shoot i, I don't shoot eight inch targets or larger they're just too easy to hit so kind of switching up the subjects here um what was your first air rifle that you got first air rifle was a I don't remember the exact model it was a daisy long pump uh, multi-pump BB pellet combo and did your father get that for you uh, well my parents actually fought me a lot on that they didn't want me to have it uh, <laughs> I believe my uncle got it for me and it showed up at the house and my parents just accepted it <laughs> Oh, that's pretty funny. Um, did you ever do any hunting as a as a kid, um, or did you kind of steer clear of it the whole time? Not particular. No, no hunting for eating. I I did pest control type of things, taking out the the problem animals around the yard. Your typical squirrels and chipmunks, and every once in a while the uh, chickadees. They're not really a problem animal, but they were plentiful and. Uh, I used to have fun. You normally do a quick draw with a pistol. Well, I would take that pump rifle and chickadees would fly across the yard between the pine trees and I would draw up one-handed with the rifle and shoot the chickadees out of the air. Oh, nice. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, is have you kind of stayed up in the Northeast the your whole life or did you move around at all? Uh, I, I hardly ever leave Massachusetts. There's been a few times work has pulled me out of the state but I don't, I, I don't go too far yeah nice place to live the the laws are 
they're a little bit tight but uh not not so bad There's, you work within them they're they're fine so not specifically in relation to you, but a little more a question for your customers and for your community. What's the laws like there for air gunners that want to hunt with an air gun? Oh, air gun hunting is really kind of non-existent. They, uh, they specifically in Massachusetts, you have to use the weapon that they specify in the hunting laws and all hunting will be done with arrow and uh, shotgun just because we don't have large vast lands that are open everything's treed you don't really have long distances to hunt so it's all very close hunting weapons wow that's crazy um i guess i want to go back to your business um how has it been the last two years i talked to a lot of businesses obviously in the air gun community and um a lot of times i'm frankly surprised they've been able to stay open and i really want to hear from you and your experience uh, during this last two years maintaining a business oh it's been a roller coaster ride uh i'm i'm determined i'm a design engineer i things that i design just work so there was no way new england air gun was going to fail but we had to do a lot of changing. Uh, our primary business was the shooting range and people coming in. And when you can't do that, we had 85% of our income just cut instantly. So um, I actually, my day, my day job was as a design engineer. I worked over at Hologic and worked on some of the equipment that diagnoses people with COVID. It's a automa automated test station. And uh, we, we were hit right off, right up front. The, uh, I think it was the first, I don't know if it was in the country, but definitely in the state, there was a conference at Biogen in Boston and we had employees there and they had employees at Hologic. And within a day of that announcement, they had our building closed and everybody worked from home. So that was my key to don't sit back because everything's going to be closed. I, <laughs> I came home and I told my wife, I'm going to spend everything we have. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, we're going to be shut down because of this pandemic and we're going to have nobody coming in. So I am going to buy product. So I took every penny the company had and I started on a buying spree and I took every personal penny we had and I spent that and then I went out and I got an equity line on the house and I spent that and today we are still waiting for product that I ordered when COVID first struck. There were a lot of companies that did the exact opposite approach uh, than you. Uh, air guns and non-air guns where they held their cash instead of putting it into the market. And obviously, I think you made the right choice by being able to get some of those early shipments in. And a lot of people have had a lot of shipment delays. So speaking of that, how has your experience been? Um, obviously, after that first round, you've still had to order stuff. How has your experience been with shipments and delays and stuff like that? Well, I took the uh, different approach. Um, it costs more, but I get my products in by plane. 
so I don't have to deal with the problems at the ports. Oh, that's that's really smart. Um, one of the questions I have for you: Are you ordering like one specific product, or is it a variety of products coming from uh, uh, overseas companies, or is this a whole plane that you're contracting with, or is this a, a certain section of it? I, I'm a little more familiar with, you know, obviously cargo ships and containers, shipping containers. I think that's what most people think of. So the whole idea of shipping and stuff vis-a-vis -a, -vis a plane is a little, a little different, but that's super smart. No, I'm, I'm, I wish I was all that big, but not that big to put in a whole plane order. But we, we put in decent size orders and, uh, get them in periodically. Uh, typically we try to plan like three shipments a month from overseas from the different manufacturers that we deal with. So one of the things I want to ask you, I guess, is, is how is it maintaining a price point? Because I'm sure that your price is going to be increased a little bit with shipping by air, but then if you wanted it cheaper, you'd have to ship it in by container and you want to have the product available for, let's say, five months. So um, how is that? Right. The, I am not chasing to the bottom of the barrel. Um, I'm not trying to offer the lowest price possible. I have product available and I've done the reasonable things to get it. And those prices, they do get reflected in the uh, product cost, but we have product where other people don't. Especially when you're talking about a product like uh, Avonix or Evenix, um, Ibex or Ebex, I think that obviously if you're a fanatic air gunner and you have your eye on a specific product that you want, you're going to jump on it um, with the person that actually has it in stock versus someone that won't for a very long time. Yeah, exactly. And that, that gun's unique. It uh, didn't exactly come out the way I wanted it. Um, but it's not only my call. The, the manufacturer has to do what's best for them also. Um, I put in a video on our website that I actually wanted the gun to be all AR-15 compatible. Well, unfortunately, the front rail, I wanted to be able to take that off and just replace it with another AR-15 front rail. Different color, different patterns. Um, it didn't go that way. The... Uh, frame of the gun was already set they had an extrusion so they had to match the rail to that extrusion but they did do the long rail they did do the picatinny on it he put the m-lock connect holes on the side so you can put on all your favorite accessories and uh, the gun came out really cool and for a big caliber gun like that to come in weighing about seven pounds uh, maybe eight pounds with the accessories that we're selling on it. It's just a, a phenomenal platform. So kind of changing subjects on the products that you have, I see that you have a less lethal option. Obviously in the industry, we say less lethal um, because they can still kill someone technically, but um, for all intensive purposes, they're not, they're not meant to, they're not designed to. So you have a Berna less lethal 0.68 cal, uh, pepper ball or rubber ball gun that you have. Uh, can you explain that and kind of give a little description? Oh, those, those are off awesome. And the customers keep pushing me into different products and I get into them within reason. And we had a lot of people coming in uh, with what's been going on 
uh, looking for personal protection with air guns. Um, some people just can't get a firearms license. Some people don't want a firearms license. Uh, so they were looking to air guns. And BB guns, pellet guns, to me, just are not really a great personal protection item. So I started looking around and I saw the pepper ball guns powered by CO2. Perfect air gun, fits it right in with what we're doing. And that product disables and disorients without killing somebody. And that's what a lot of people really want. They don't have it in them to use a firearm and spill somebody's guts onto the floor. They just want to ha be safe and be able to get away, call the police, let the police come in and do what they need to do. There's also the visual aspect. Obviously, sometimes the FSA... Uh, there's a threat entering your house. They might see a black gun and um, they have no way of knowing whether that is a firearm or a personal protection device that is a less lethal option. Um, in that moment, it might just scare them enough to have them actually run away. Oh, yeah, exactly. And especially with the 68 caliber opening, it looks like you got a, a mini shotgun pointed at you. And you have no idea what's in that thing. It could be um hot pepper like mace it could be tear gas there's solid rounds that go in there they they hurt really bad um with five of those in the face you're not going to be happy and uh do you shoot these in your range often oh yeah we what we do in the range is we uh set customers up with rubber practice balls uh they actually they don't fit so great in the magazines, the uh, locking lever on the top of the magazine. If the ball isn't perfectly round or it's a little bit undersized, it'll slip. So you kind of have to fiddle around, find a ball that fits to cap off your mag. But once it's in the gun, they that part doesn't matter anymore. So people will shoot paper targets in our range with the rubber balls. We collect them at the end of the day, clean them off, reuse them again. So people really get to practice. I, that's one thing that we really believe in here is you've got to use your toys. <laughs> you got to know how to use them. It's not something you just want to pick up on a whim under stress and take it out and fumble. So we give people a place to come and we play games with them. Uh, shooting targets will we'll actually go... Uh, shooting across multiple lanes and putting the guns down and switching lanes so it's like you're shooting different targets so do you have big plans for when they allow the range to open back up after all this covid stuff oh we're we're actually always working on something we're trying to get our landlord to allow us to take some more space over in the building um we we would love to have one area that's just uh, 10 meter uh, for 10 meter pistol, 10 meter rifle, Olympic competition type stuff, and then have the current range used for uh, new people, uh, the higher powered rifles, uh, because we've got the distance and the good backstop in this range. But we do want to have competitions, and uh, one of the things that we had going pretty good, it wasn't a traditional competition, uh, it was a break barrel 
competition that we did where people would uh, you'd shoot in three different positions, uh, standing, sitting, kneeling. Our kneeling position was not a standard sit on your ankle, get full support of the world. It was take a knee, be upright, like you're shooting through a window. Very hard to stay steady. And our targets are eh, about two and a half, three inches in diameter. And we would shoot in those d three different positions, five shots per target, and see who could come up with the uh, best scores at the end of an hour. So we do three three rounds of doing each position, and we we had two nights a week that we were doing that, and we had up to 12 people competing at a time. It was uh, a lot of fun. So then going back to you personally, I guess I'd like to ask, what was your first not your first gun or air gun, but what was your first pre-charged pneumatic rifle? And what is your current favorite? Uh, first pre-charge. Well, I kind of jumped. Uh, I have all the guns, but don't have any guns. So having the store, uh, I had access to all the pre-charge. I think we started off with... Uh, it's got to be, we, we started mostly with Crossman products in the beginning, so it had to be the Marauder pistol, Marauder rifle. Those were the, the industry standard back seven years ago. And what was your current uh, favorite rifle? Oh, hand, hands down has to be the Hooban K1. It's just, it, it does everything. It's, it's small, it's light, fully adjustable for plinking, for for hunting i have one customer who sent his k1 to his cousin in the philippines he had a problem with the those feral hogs and he had a 300 pound hog on his property that was tearing it up he figured he'd take the k1 and shoot it scare it away and uh he shot it at the shoulder and it dropped right where it was and uh went right through the shoulder right through the heart and lungs and 300 pound hog just dropped in place with a 22. And what calibers do they offer the Huben in? Uh, they just have 22 and 25. The, the 25 is newer. It, uh, I can say it was a little bit disappointing coming out because everybody had gigantic expectations of ultimate power. And in the U.S. we're consumed with power. But uh, what they did with the K1 is they basically replaced the magazine and barrel. So you're shooting larger diameter, heavier projectile, but the inner workings of the gun are identical. So it, it gave you a, a little boost in maximum foot pounds from 80 to 100 foot pounds, but not a significant, overwhelming powerhouse. It's It's still really powerful, and it's a... It's a really cool gun. So given that you have an indoor range, I'm sure you're uh, familiar with a lot of lower uh, power air guns. So if I was a consumer going in or there's someone coming in and to try to buy a gun that's, let's say, around 12 foot-pounds, it doesn't actually have to be 12 foot-pounds, but somewhere around that ballpark, what would you advise a customer to buy? Maybe maybe sub-24. My my all-out favorite is the Crossman Nitro Venom, the uh, Nitro Piston. 
that that is my favorite everybody will tell you that's my favorite it's it's just a phenomenal gun i just I, that's the one that I bought to start New England Air Gun. I uh, bought it from my wife, and I actually had gotten a, an opportunity one time to do a hunter field target where you go out and you shoot the metal knockdown targets. They place them at random distances anywhere from, I don't know, maybe they're pretty close. Um, I want to say maybe. 10 yards out to 55 yards and they'll give you anywhere from a 3 8 kill zone to an inch and a half kill zone and I, this was um, the first competition I went to was down in Connecticut with the Connecticut Air Gunners and they have five world champions down there and they they shoot the brake barrels they go over the world they're shooting sub 12 and uh, I went down there with my Crossman Nitro Venom and actually pulled off a third place with it. So. Oh wow, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Everybody's looking at me and they're standing behind me. They're like, "What kind of gun is that? It's not a competition gun. Never seen that. It's, it's not an HW. It's not a fine work bow. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> Crossman Nitro Venom. <laughs> and it, Leo was my spotter, and he's uh, he's like, yeah, he's. He's hitting all the long distance targets. He can't hit the close ones for nothing, but he's hitting all the long distance ones. Oh man, those yeah, those competitions are really hard. Those shooters have to have a lot of skill because they're doing a lot of dynamic shooting. I guess uh, segueing a little bit here, as a store and a distributor of air guns, I'd like to ask you, what would you like to see different in the air gun um, industry? How how do you like to see air guns change, or is there anything you'd like to see change specifically? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, I know and what I'm always looking for is stuff that's reliable and easy for the consumer to uh, handle. Uh, I, can, I can maybe more easily say what I, I don't want to see. Uh, one example is, uh, I think it was... Cross was it Crossman or is it Umarex? One of those guys. They came out with a really great Ruger 10.22 uh, replica, and awesome, awesome looking gun. Yeah, I think that had like some name like the Crossman Freestyle, like the 10.77, um, in .177 cal or, or something, some name like that. But I just can't uh, recall it off the top of my head. Yeah, the 10, the 10.77 awesome awesome gun that's one that i tell everyone if you're an air gunner you must have that in your collection that is a it's an arcade gun a just rapid fire knock down the targets or slow and accurate yeah co2 lightweight for the kids but it it can pump out 780 feet per second so great little gun and that's a mock-up of the ruger the beautiful thing they did on that one is they if you run low on power the pellet will come out of the magazine but it won't necessarily go all the way into the barrel and then you can't get your magazine out so they put some wings up on the barrel so you can push the wings down take the barrel push it forward then you can drop the magazine the uh that newest replica even though it's like a perfect replica if someone runs low on power they get a 
pellet stuck halfway between the magazine and the barrel, there's no way to get it out. Do you have to put like a rod down the barrel, like a dowel, wooden dowel or anything like that? No, no you get a... <laughs> I, we've, we've had them where they were stuck where there was already one in the barrel, and then there was another one that was halfway. And I believe it was... I believe it's an Umarex product. They they told us just uh, take a screwdriver, put a screwdriver to the magazine, and just uh, wedge it. Take and sear the sear the pellet in half. It damages the gun, damages the magazine. Yeah. I'm a I'm a design engineer. To to me, that's just lack of lack of foresight. It's yeah, just, it's hard. There's I mean every brand every brand has some weird things sometimes and not. You know, it, you can't strike it out all the time. There's there's a couple products. I like the, actually, speaking of Umarex, the hammer. I don't like that blowout on, uh, I think it's the left side, right? I don't like that feature it's at all. It's both sides. Okay, yeah, so you just get, <laughs> you get bit on either side. But, you know. They, the, they, they give you nice warnings. They, they have a whole bunch of warning labels, and they tell you that that's going to happen. Yeah, and there's other brands too. I've seen things. I've seen Crossman do some stuff where I'm like, oh, don't, why do you do that? But, you know, just as a consumer, you just have the responsibility to buy what you like, and the, the companies will learn over time what's working and what doesn't. Now, one thing that I would like to see, which would be really cool, is seeing like a chronograph that would be like a, a muzzle brake or a suppressor on the end of the gun just something that could be permanently mounted and shot. I mean, FX is pretty close with their box that hangs underneath the barrel. I mean, I've seen it with uh, the chronographs for Airsoft. You, you shoot through them, it's like, ah, I want to mount that right on the end of the gun and just shoot through it. I don't want to have the chronograph on the table. I, I want it to be mobile wherever I am. I think I'm familiar with a couple of the Airsoft brands that you're talking about. I saw one that uh, was adapted to a Donnie FL Sumo pretty easily. And I am pretty curious about the accuracy of those. And I'm not talking about the accuracy of the numbers of the chronograph, but how it impacts the accuracy of the gun. Is it bouncing around? And um, obviously, if you're doing harmonics and stuff like that, that's going to change that that added weight on the end of the barrel i could maybe throw it off in a negative light if you have it perfectly tuned yeah i i have not gotten into this thing with harmonics i don't quite totally understand it the uh the guys shooting the fx's are winning competitions for years and years before this harmonic tuner and shroud thing came up and it's like what the guns weren't good enough to win competitions before without this now you have to have it to win a competition these guys were shooting hole and hole at crazy distances and how much hole and hole can you shoot with a harmonic tuner yeah harmonic tuners are going to be uh, a real revolutionary pivot point for the air gunning community but um let's switch subjects here i kind of one of the last questions i want to ask and i'm going to start asking people this a little more often is do you see any comedy in the air gunning community or do you not have time for that oh i don't know i <laughs> i'm busy working I'm, I'm still pulling eight years i've been pulling 80 hour weeks between was between the day job and the air gun business but with covid i've dropped the day job just doing air guns uh <laughs> 
80 hours a week. I, I don't quite have time for forums and watching all that stuff that's going on out there. Yeah, no time, no, no time for fun. You're making money. Yeah, I mean, we some of the things that we've done, I mean, we've gone out to the firearms range and we'll, we'll play musical chairs with guns. And uh, the firearm crowd just, they, they don't know what to do with us. We're, we're having a ball. We'll, we'll have three people down with guns and we'll have one person standing up as a spotter. And we'll all have our own set of targets and we're shooting at stupid small targets. And when somebody calls a hit on their target, everybody puts their guns down, shifts chairs. One person comes off from shooting. The person that was out comes in. And we try to shoot like that until somebody hits all of their targets when someone else hasn't. So musical chairs with air guns. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I always think about different avenues air guns could go in the future and one of them is the air gun golf because they do sell those balls the golf balls that explode but i always think why not actually make that into a legitimate you know sport like frisbee golf for example yeah i got ideas for that too that would be that would be really cool to just go around and depending on the uh depending on how small of a target you hit you get to uh, skip to further distances down the course. Well, John, it was really nice having you on the Atlas Air Guns podcast. And people can follow you at newenglandairgun.com and check out the products that you have and your range. And hopefully someday, very soon, it will open back up. Is there anything else you'd like to say to the audience? Uh, only thing I have to say is go out there, be safe, and uh, have fun. Yeah, I'll have to check out your range hopefully sometime in the near future when I uh, get up there in the northeast. Come up on a vacation like the uh, (laughs) Saudis did. Yeah, I'll have to come up there just like the Saudis. All right, well, again, thank you so much for coming on and uh, talk to you very soon. All right, thank you for having me. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Atlas Airguns podcast. Make sure to like with a five-star rating, share, and subscribe. Have a question? Email atlasairguns at gmail.com.